Friends, would you stand with me as we read the Lord's word this morning? I'm reading from uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 12, when we're looking at verses 5 through 12. Again, this is the Lord's word. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread, But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated, friends? Again, our Father, we thank you for your word and pray that you would grant your blessing upon it as it goes forward. I pray that you would bless your servant and bless the hearts and minds of these, your people, and that we would take heart and take caution of what in the world we are doing these days. We pray that you would come and open this word up to us and cause it to be faithfully applied to your hearers. And we ask, Father, that you would cause the kingdom of Satan injury and harm, that you would help us, O Lord, be strengthened in our faith as a result of this word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus wrote in Matthew 5, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Sadly, salt has lost its saltiness. Many individuals, churches, denominations who once started so well, have fallen by the wayside. They still exist, but to what end and to what purpose? Our Confession of Faith says this in chapter 25, the purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error. And some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. When I lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, I visited another city And there was this beautiful, beautiful Presbyterian church. I have never been in a building that beautiful. You'd walk into their sanctuary, and it was astounding how beautiful it was. Uh, The the ceilings must have been 50 or 60 feet high, large cedar beams spanning the sanctuary, stones across the middle of the floor, wooden pews with deep red velvet 
cushions all the way back, a giant stained glass window in the back, and a pulpit up there in the front. And the light would shine through the stained glass window, and you would feel a holy hush come over you as you stepped into this sanctuary. And then you find out that they had abandoned preaching the gospel years ago. And the church survived because of trusts that had been, so they had plenty of money, but they weren't people. There was no witness. In Fort Wayne itself, there was a giant Presbyterian church. Again, very similar situation, beautiful building, all of these things. And yet they would be the ones out promoting uh, the abortion industry. They would be the ones having plays in their theater because they were so culturally relevant, <laughs> celebrating homosexuals and things like this. A church that once was built for the glory of Jesus Christ now stood to celebrate men and to, to, to um, exalt the flesh. This is a real problem in the world. And it's always a constant battle for the church. We know of individuals, churches, and denominations where this is true, where liberalism, uh, the churches have become social clubs, endorsing socialism and wokeism and godless behavior and skepticism, skepticism of the word. It has been said that if you want to know where a particular denomination is going, look at the seminaries, because the seminaries are usually 10 years ahead of where the churches end up going. So as seminaries go liberal, so do churches, because they're pumping into their pulpits men who are indoctrinated with liberal and godless ideas. Our own denomination, the OPC, remember how it started. Gresham Machen was defrocked. Because imagine this. He insisted that a missionary must believe that Jesus Christ is God. Imagine that. And they defrocked him for that. And so it happens. Westminster Seminary started because it happened at Princeton Seminary. Where, where people were falling away from the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Again, Jesus Christ, by all these conservative places, once was considered the Messiah in the only way, and now in many places he is considered a way, or maybe even less, a model. What has happened? The prophets of the Lord warned the people of Israel and Judah to turn from their wickedness and to turn to the Lord, but they did not. Instead, we read in uh, 2 Kings 17, they rejected his statutes and his covenant, which he made with his, their fathers and his warnings with which he warned them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the nations which surrounded them, concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do like them. So our Lord, in this passage of scripture, warns us this morning to be on guard against the skepticism and unbelief of the divine revelation that makes quite plain to us who Jesus Christ is, that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the promised King, and he is the only Savior of sinners. And we will see just why we ought to be on guard against the false teachings concerning Jesus Christ and how careful we must be in what we take in regarding television ministries or books, magazines, and podcasts, why we ought to give greater attention to the truth and make use of the means available to us. The question is, why ought you to be careful? Because we're likely to think of ourselves, that could never happen to me. And it has happened routinely 
throughout the Lord's church. Look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation and the warnings they received. Friends, where are those churches today? You see, you always have to be on guard about these things. False teachings, if, if we are not on guard, will become evident in our lives. Listen to verses 5 and 6 again. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, as we read in verses 1 through 4, the Pharisees and Sadducees, enemies of each other, but when it came to Jesus Christ, besties, right? Because they both groups hated Jesus Christ. They are united in their distrust and hatred of the Lord. And here, these Pharisees, they know the scriptures. Both groups have seen and heard of countless miracles and attestations of who he is. But what is the outcome of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Again, if you look at verses 1 through 4, listen to what happened. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it, except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. What should these groups have been saying about Jesus Christ? Really? We just need one more sign. Give us a big one. Give us a doozy. And what does he say to them? You predict the weather. You look at the sky. You know what's going on. And you're saying to me, give me a sign? What in the world do you think I've been doing these past years and months? What do you think I've been doing? I've been doing all of these things. And so they want something more fantastic, some kind of sign from heaven, something that will really prove who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah. Again, they know how to discern the, the weather, but not the times. What do you make of all these healings, these deliverances, people uh, being brought back to life, the lame being made to walk? What do you make of the word of God and the prophets? What should they have thought was going on? What would you have thought of Jesus Christ, this man who's walking the dusty streets and, and, and there's a, a widow whose son is dead and he, he says, rise, and he gets up. What should you think if he's feeding 5,000 or, or numbers that 5,000 men, 10,000 people with a couple of fish and some loaves of bread? What would you have thought of that? Well, who can do these kinds of things? We're just not really sure, Jesus. I mean... There's an actual explanation for this. Quantum physics, I'm sure, has something to do with what you've been able to do. They just want one more thing. Tell me one more thing. They were evil and adulterous, unfaithful to their God, uh, unfaithful to their God who delivered them, who loved and had protected and revealed himself to them as a people, and yet they would not hear it. They would not see it. The only sign, says Jesus, that they would get would be the sign of Jonah. Three days and three nights in, in the depths of death. Here they are, full of unbelief, skepticism, and that's what characterized these teachers and scholars, the religious leaders of the day. That's the religious people in Israel at that day. This is how overwhelmingly they viewed Jesus Christ. 
The fact that he's done all of these miracles, all of these things up to this point, means nothing to them. Give us one more sign, and then maybe we'll believe. That's a problem. And so when we come to this, after this encounter with the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Lord, along with his disciples, climbed back in the boat to go back across the sea. And we need to observe that both Matthew and Mark state that the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Now, it may not seem what's the connection between what's just happened and what is happening here. We are told by both Matthew and Mark that they had forgotten to take bread. Mark pointing out that they did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them at that time. It it means that these were typical guys, these fishermen. Plan ahead. I didn't know we were going to have to bring more than, you know, pack our lunch, do this. We weren't thinking about that. We got into the boat like the Lord commands. We take a loaf of bread with us. It's not as if they can just stop on the other side of the sea and go to a grocery store. This is like if you were to do a pack trip and you were to go up into the mountains and say, finally, after you're in the mountains, gee, we should have thought about bringing something to eat. They're in a boat. Where are they going to get bread? How are they going to eat? We get nervous. We do. We get nervous when we don't think we're going to have or get a hold of those things that we need for our survival. It's amazing to me how how nicely this message fits with our Sunday school message this morning. We don't have food, money, sleep, strength for a trial. Both gospel writers mentioned this fact that they had forgotten to take bread. How did it manifest itself? Now picture this. Jesus and his disciples are in the boat. They're in this boat, and Jesus is listening to their conversation. Where's the bread? Well, I brought one loaf. Was I supposed to bring more? You didn't bring more? You didn't think about there's 13 of us in a boat, and you brought one little loaf? What are we going to eat? Yes, we had breakfast, but what about second breakfasts? I mean, this is, you can imagine a bunch of hungry fishermen, tax collectors in a boat. Can you go anywhere as a fella and not stop and eat Snickers or Fritos or stop somewhere and eat something? You're gnawing on the steering wheel if you're not careful. I mean, this is the kind of thing, it's a very realistic approach. And these men are wondering, what are we going to do about lunch? What are we going to do for food? And so they're nervous. They're uneasy. The uneasy looks between one another. A comment to one, from one of them to another saying, don't let that loaf of bread get wet because it'll be ruined. And they're bothered. Why? Because they have this fundamental question, what are we going to do for food? It's a basic need question of life. What are we going to do for food? We hear this. In our days, in our session, we've encouraged you, if, if you can put food, canned foods aside, if you can put some supplies aside, some staples, this is a good thing. But you listen to some of these YouTube channels. Well, you have to have a 100-acre farm, and you have to have an, a barn by itself dedicated to, to flour if you're going to survive any uh, modern apocalypse. And so we watch these prepper stations, and you just can't even be prepared far enough for these things. And so this idea of what are we going to do if something bad happens, the disciples are having this moment of, oh no, we have forgotten to bring food. What do you suppose went through their minds? We have forgotten, we only have one measly cake, 
who's going to get it and that's an awfully small piece of bread to divide between 13 of us. Friends, whatever it was, Jesus knows all things. He has seen uh, what is going on. He knows what's also going on in their minds, which is unseen. And he warns them at this very crucial point. Have you ever been in a place where you say, I, I don't know how we're going to do this. How are we going to survive? It's a very basic question. How are we going to get through this? If an EMP strikes, if the economy drops like a rock, who's going to see us through it? You kind of you start to get a sense of what the apostles, the disciples, might have been experiencing in the boat a little bit. Now, this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense with the first four verses, but here's, here's how we see it. Rather than stockpiling bread, the disciples need a lesson. And sometimes, friends, the lesson is more necessary than the item we think we need. The lesson we get out of it is more important than the, the item we think we need. And Jesus says this, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And Jesus' comment isn't a random comment. It's not out of place. Friends, he says this because the disciples have been infected by the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. It is seen by the fact that they are worried because they have only one loaf. What we hold as true will manifest itself in our lives by worry, by anger, by complacency, or by presumption. What we hold as true will demonstrate itself in our lives. Therefore, when God is small, man is big. If we view God as being small, we will say to ourselves of necessity, I've got to do something because no one else is looking after me. And this is what we find happening with the disciples. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven is yeast. It was used to ferment a lump of dough. A little lump of leaven would be put in a big bowl, a big mixing bowl with flour and the other ingredients. And you just let it sit covered and the leaven would spread through the rest of the dough, thus making the rest of the dough. It, it's, it's, um, it's a bacteria. It, it works slow, but it's subtle. And it's a definite influencer when it's involved, when it's introduced. Leaven, with the exception of one passage, metaphorically represents sin or a sinful influence. It's always this case in the scriptures. So we read in 1 Corinthians 5 about Christians, those in Christ, they are unleavened now. We have been purified of our sin. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the apostle says, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ. Our Passover also has been sacrificed. The leaven in the church of, of Corinth in chapter 5, is the leaven of immorality. There was sexual immorality going on in the church, and they did not address it in the church. And that immorality, Paul's concern, was that it influences the rest of the congregation. Well, if Bob can be involved in immorality, I guess it's not so bad that if I'm involved in immorality, nobody else is doing anything about it. And Paul says, don't you understand what's happening? You don't address this. This influences the whole lump of dough. It influences the whole church. You've got to deal with it. 
And in Galatians 5, 9, same type of thing. However, with, with the gospel, the leaven of a false gospel will likewise hurt the whole church. As I was mentioning last week, a little leaven, the man walks into my house, he looks at my CD collection, and he goes, hmm, not nearly puritanical enough for me. And, and I, I'm coming under his influence and even before he came into my house and I wanted to take those CDs and hide them. And I can assure you, my wife says, you, you make yourself sound like you're a headbanger. She goes, you're not a headbanger. And I'm really not, mostly. And, and, and so, so I have these, these and I'm starting the, the influence, the, 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 the coercion that I've got to do this if I want to keep this guy happy. And it's not about righteousness. But that's the influence of Galatians 5.9. The leaven of a false gospel will likewise hurt the whole church. So Jesus warns his disciples that they should watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which in verse 12 is defined as the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Specifically, their teaching concerning who Jesus Christ is. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? What influences are you under? And see, we can see this. We see this, this very thing, that the disciples, they've just come from these people, these Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, those miracles aren't nearly enough. And now the disciples are like, oh, what are we going to do? We're not going to have enough bread. What are we going to do for lunch? What, what about dinner? We didn't even bring fishing nets. What, what, what? And they're becoming anxious because the influence of the Pharisees and Sadducees is now and has influenced them and how they're viewing Jesus Christ. And so we have this curious remark. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying he said that because we did not bring any bread. One commentator says this, they interpreted leaven literally and thought that Jesus was warning them against accepting any bread from Pharisees and Sadducees. Here then, we have another instance of what was happening repeatedly, namely, that human minds by, natural, uh, by nature superficial fail to grasp the deep and often figurative meaning of Christ's sayings. They're ignorant both of the danger that the Pharisees and Sadducees present and also of the serious nature of Jesus' warning. Jesus gives them this rebuke. He is aware of their discussion and he rebukes them saying that they are men of little faith. Again, it's a phrase he would use again and again to describe his disciples. In Matthew 6.30, he would talk about that. And Matthew 8.26 and 14.31, and then also again here in 16.8. In each of these verses I just mentioned, the concern on the part of the disciples was for their life, their safety, or their well-being. Do you ever find yourself wondering what's going to become of us if politics continues down the path it's on? What if Lander goes all totally nutso-progresso? What's going to become of us? What if Bill Gates ends up buying all the farmland in the United States and sprays it? What's going to become of us? What's going to become of us if our houses are robbed and our flour is taken away from us? All these sorts of things. And we become concerned about our lives, our livelihoods, our safety, the well-being of ourselves and of our families. 
And here Jesus asks them four questions which demonstrate that indeed they had been infected by the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He asks this first question, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Why are they worried as if something bad is going to overtake them or that they will be neglected? Hasn't Jesus told them, Matthew 6, 30-33, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Secondly, do you not understand or remember the five loaves and the, the five thousand, and how many baskets full you picked up? There were twelve basketfuls. How many disciples? Twelve. Hey, that's a basket per disciple that was left over. Yeah, Jesus, that was a pretty cool miracle. And here we were going to send them away to go find food, and you said you provide. And all we had were a couple of little fish and some loaves of bread. And you provided so abundantly. 10,000, 12,000 people Fed? How did you do that, Jesus? Or do you not understand or remember the seven loaves of four thousand of the four thousand and how many large baskets full you picked up? Seven large basketfuls. And fourth question, how is it that you do not understand that it did not speak to you concerning bread? They discuss bread because they have been influenced by the evil teachings, disbelief, and the skepticism of the Pharisees and Sadducees who did not believe the word or the multitude of miracles that were done. They're in the boat with the Son of God. And he's like, why are you talking about bread? For crying out loud, have you come under the influence of the Pharisees and Sadducees who are crying out, you haven't done enough to convince us yet. All these miracles, all these miracles, the disciples watching, all these things unfold. And they're looking at that one loaf, trying to keep it dry, while the water's sloshing on either side of them. And they're going, what are we going to do? And the Lord is saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They've, they've cast a spell, as it were, over your minds. You're not seeing clearly. You're not thinking clearly. You're forgetting who I am. You're forgetting who I am. And so they are sitting in a boat worried about their next meal. They have failed to understand the point of all of the miraculous feedings or even to the remember them. That Jesus Christ himself, my friends, is both compassionate and willing to give us what we need for life and holiness, but is also able to abundantly supply it, as we learned in Sunday school, to the brim. To the brim. To give us everything we need, when we need it, just at the right time, in the right amount, so as not to cause us to become boastful and proud and 
and cursing God or to cause us to go and steal. He gives us just what we need. The Pharisees and Sadducees refused to believe what they had already seen and what they knew. Now even his disciples were influenced by their evil and adulterous teachings so that the disciples themselves failed to recognize that the one sitting in the boat with them is the very one who was going to take care of them both now and forever. And my dear friends, do you not understand that whatever you're facing, that the one who sits in the boat with you is going to take care of you forever and ever. He will. He's promised. Their faith had become undermined, weakened by the religious leaders of the day who were disobedient to the word. They had the word, but they refused to heed it and to teach it to the people. They were indeed blind guides of the blind. These are the disciples of the Lord. If they don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah and King of Israel, what does that say for the future of the church? My friends, Jesus Christ does not care about what kind of bread you eat, but says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And here's the good news regarding these disciples. They believed the good news. Their faith becomes informed. Our faith grows as it is fed on the word of God versus it being weakened as we listen to empty and vain philosophies and doctrines of demons and the so-called wisdom of men. This is where, friends, it's really important that you remain like a child. I can't, I can't tell you enough. We talked about this years ago in a Sunday school class, Charles Templeton, who was the Canadian, considered the Canadian Billy Graham. He was friends with Billy Graham. He preached the gospel to thousands of people. And he decided, according to the Billy Graham um, biography, he, uh, his friend ended up going to one of these Ivy League. It might have been Princeton, Harvard, or Yale. I'm not sure which it was. And Billy Graham had a conversation with his friend Charles. And Charles said, you know, Billy, I've been thinking about this. You know, I've gone to school now. I've been thinking about this. Maybe the, maybe the Bible's not so trustworthy after all. And it was a real crisis moment for, for Billy Graham. And he, he said, no, nah, I can't go down that path with you, Charles. It's still the word of God. A child takes his parents at face value. He trusts. And we come and we approach the scriptures like children. We say, this is what our Heavenly Father says to us. And so we believe what it says. But then some hotshot, too big for his britches, scholar comes along and says, well, you know, Moses didn't write that. That's J.D.P. That's that uh, critical, critical race stuff and, and critical theory and higher criticism that the Germans taught us back in the late 1800s. Well, Moses never uses words like that. Well, Paul never uses words like this. And so they didn't actually write them. And so we start, we start going, oh, the, the Bible, well, it is a work of men. You can't really trust it after all because even Dr. Seuss couldn't get it right all the time. And it undermines our faith. It undermines our confidence in the scriptures. And so 
we see them in verse 12, they heed the warning to beware. Jesus said in verse 11b, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees and Sadducees wielded a power and an authority in Israel. Their influence was great, and Jesus said to beware, which would mean to be on your guard against, don't be duped or led to believe things that aren't true concerning especially who Jesus Christ is. The disciples are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. Those beautiful, beautiful sanctuaries I was talking about at the beginning of the sermon, what are they? They might as well just be holding cow manure inside them because that's what they're worthwhile. That's their worth now because they don't stand for what they once represented. Paul said to Timothy, let no one look down at your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. That is what a leader, that is what every disciple is to be, a people whose confidence is in the Lord, who trust, whose trust is in God, that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Heed his warning. There are many leavenous teachings in the church today that have undermined and are undermining us as individuals, as churches, and as denominations. And my friends, Satan never presents himself as a bad guy. Usually, he comes to us through a charismatic, real individual who sounds mostly right. Good communicators, polished men, Lots of money, slick brochures, slick programs. They got it all. And they stand in the pulpits and they say things like, oh, the, the Ten Commandments, you don't have to obey the Ten Commandments. There's a megachurch pastor saying that these days. God wants you wealthy and healthy. That's why Jesus came. The power of I am. And they're heresies. But they look so good and their teeth are so white. Surely they're sincere. And they can be trusted. These things go on. And what happens is it weakens and even leads us away from Christ Jesus so that we become synagogues of Satan. Because the things of God, the scriptures of God, the Christ of God become undermined and we lose our confidence in those things. In fact, I dare say that many times we don't invite people to church is because we have lost our confidence in the fact that God uses the word, his word, to redeem the sinner. And instead, it would be really helpful to invite somebody here if we had a six string and a bass and a drum set behind a glass shield. We painted our walls black and blocked out our windows. Then we could be really hip. And then people can hear. Because the word of God is not enough. That's the modern mindset. And it isn't an interesting that as the church has bought into this mindset, 
that the culture has denigrated more and more. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think they're related. I think the spiritual condition of our country is related to the church losing its confidence in the word of God and in the savior, the head of the church. That's the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's what has happened to many of our seminaries. That's what happens to many churches. We, we, we denigrate who Jesus Christ is and the word of God in its truthfulness. When was the last time you read the word of God and said, ah, that's a good idea. I think that's what I'm going to do. That's what a child would do. He'd read it and say, that's what I'm going to do. That's what an old child should do. A 90-year-old child of Christ should be doing that same thing. That's what I'm going to do. Remember, my friends, remember this. The Lord's people are to influence the world for the glory of God and not the world to influence the church for the glory of man. And we think too meanly, too small of Jesus Christ and we say things like, he was just a moral teacher, he's a nice guy. But we fail to recognize that he's the son of God, very God of very God. And that he's a righteous judge and he's returning to judge this world for its sin. When we don't acknowledge that, we have bought into the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes. Leavenous teachings approach us as... Um, his demands as the Lord. We saw this back in the 90s really hit between the, the Lordship salvation debate or what had been termed cheap grace. That I can ask Jesus Christ into my heart to be my savior and yet I don't have to obey him and what he says. And I think that's a leaven that has fallen upon the Lord's people. The, whole, the, the effect would be that a whole generation of people think as long as they have said this prayer that they are saved and it doesn't matter how they go on and live. Somehow God doesn't care about holiness and this is, this is not true. We think too meanly, too smallly of the Lord's demands in his word. The Lord cares about how we live. We think too little of his grace when we start adding things to the scriptures and saying you must do this X, Y, and Z if you're to be really loved by the Lord. Last week, we, I heard I talked to a couple of our friends here about the uh, Hebrew roots movement. The idea that Jesus isn't quite enough, but that the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament are also necessary. What does that mean? It means the leaven of the Pharisees and scribes. Jesus isn't quite enough. He's got to do one more miracle, just one more to prove to us who he is. He's not enough in his own. We think too little of him as our treasure, and rather we say Jesus is the means, the way to treasure. Jesus is the way I get rich. Jesus is the way I get healthy. And we think too meanly of him. We have come under the leavenous influence of the scribes and Pharisees. We think too little of him as being the only way in our age of pluralism. Well, Jesus is your way to get to heaven, but he's not my way to get to heaven. Sorry, friend, he is the only way to get to heaven. 
That's, that's not debatable, friends. And yet, this is what scholars, this is what um, theologians now are saying, what churches we are hearing preaching, what, what, what you, podcasts and television shows, we hear these things being said, and the Christian goes, oh, maybe, maybe my pastor's overstating it, maybe he's being too dogmatic, maybe he's being too rigid in his understanding uh, and his approach to the scriptures. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. Hear me. This, this influence coming outside of the church, crushing the church into its image. My wife and I stood out on the street last week, a couple weeks ago now, I guess it was, and there was this very nice-looking man came up. It was cold outside. He's wearing just a T-shirt and long pants and I think flip-flops or something. He's holding a baby in his arms. He goes, oh, hey, uh, comes up. I, I think it's really great what you guys are doing. I think it's, I think it's really great. You know, and, and I'm holding this sign, and this shows a man holding a, a baby, and it says, real men stand for life, born and unborn. It's just a sign. It was given to me. I like the sign. I'm a man. I thought it's kind of appropriate. I hold this sign. So I'm holding this sign. He comes and goes, yeah, you know, I was looking at your sign, and it's kind of making a value judgment about people, you know, because everyone's got worth. And I said, well, yeah. But, you know, you, you know, kind of makes people feel guilty when they see that. Like, if you're not fighting for life, like, maybe you're inferior. And I go, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda. And, and it was a very interesting discussion. My wife pointed out, she goes, that's the kind of stuff that comes into the church that causes us to lay down our distinctives because we want to be respectable to the world. And so we lay aside our distinctives. And actually, friends, while all life is important to the Lord because all people are image bearers of the Almighty, do you realize the scripture does make distinctions between men and women? Using words like, they were worthless men. Remember Naboth and his vineyard? Jezebel hired a couple of thugs and they were worthless. They were not being what God called them to be. And so this man and this insipid oh, let's just embrace every idea and every idea is equal, is not true. And that's the influence, the leaven that comes in on the church. And we lay aside these distinctive things like Christ is the only way. Christ Jesus has what is absolutely necessary for us for all of life. Do you believe this, friends? Because this was the, the temptation that was foisted upon the disciples while they're obsessing about one loaf of bread. And Jesus is saying, you have forgotten who's in the boat with you and what I've been doing. Do you think, and I'm going to call you into the boat, and then I'm going to forget about you. And he doesn't. And they have that aha moment where they go, oh yeah. Beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. And my friends, this is what we have to be very careful of. We have to be very careful of this influence coming out from outside of the church, crushing in upon us. How do we fight it? I'm going to wrap this up very briefly. My friends, you ready for this? Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. 
as you, as you go to read and pray, Lord, give me the heart and the eyes of a child and help me to believe once again that you will be with me in all things. Help me to remember that you are enough for all that I need, all that I'm facing in life. Read your Bibles, friends. Meditate upon it. Memorize it. Believe it. Friends, read it to your children. I heard Elizabeth Elliot quoting scripture on the radio one time, and she goes, you know, my father never had us memorize it. And the question goes, well, how do you know it so well? She goes, he read it to us all the time, morning and evening. He read us the Bible so that it just naturally kind of comes to mind. This is what we should be doing with our children. It's a pain in the neck because I know we're all busy. But it's so important. It's the most important thing you can do with your children. Read to them before bed. I don't care when you do it. Just do it. Turn off the television. Settle down, at least for you, the guy reading it, and read it. Come to, come to worship. Unless providentially hindered, uh, come to worship. Sit under the word faithfully preached and don't neglect assembling with the Lord's people. Pray. Pray privately, pray corporately. Ask the Lord to help you. Be with the body of Christ. Be with the fellowship of the believers. And let them, let them talk to you and talk back and forth and challenge you in the things of God. It's so important that we are on our guard against those things which lead us away from who Jesus Christ is, which undermine and weaken us and erode our confidence in all that he's done. And that's why we come to this table. Because it is one of these things that the Lord has given to remind us of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And friends, do I need to say it? But if he didn't withhold his only son, how will he not give you all things that are necessary for all of your life? This is the love of God. This is the kind of love he has for his people. And so we place our confidence in him and do not allow ourselves to come under the influence of this world would attack, which would attack Jesus Christ and our faith in him. Let's pray. We again thank you, Father, for your word and pray that your blessing would be upon us now as we partake of this supper in front of us, acknowledging, Lord, that we, like the disciples, so often have little faith and we come under the influence. We come under the influence, the leaven of Pharisees and scribes, whispering strangely things just like the serpent did has God really said diminishing your power your glory your love undermining the truthfulness of your word so that our confidence is iffy oh father we pray that you would create in us hearts and minds like that are childlike that will look to you and say this is what the Lord said Let's do it. Bless us, we pray. And in, in this idea of becoming more like children and trusting you, we pray these things humbly now in Jesus' name. Amen.